You are listening to Think Theory Radio. 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 Hello and welcome to Think Theory Radio, the show that brings you topics outside the mainstream realm of thought and ideas to make you think. And I'm your host, Damien Perdue, your guide on this mad scientifical ride of audio delights. And of course, I'm joined by Polly C., Yo, yo, yo. A.K.A. Paul Shavari. Hey, there we go. I got a name. Yeah, got to throw it out there once in a while, mm-hmm. you know, in case anyone's searching for you on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> or wants to write hate mail. <laughs> hey, any mail is good mail. Isn't it's true. that the thing? It's true. Oh, no, that's press. <laughs> Just make all letters out, too. Never mind. I'm not going to say my boss's name on the air. <laughs> Care of. You can look it up on yeah. the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of crazy mail, no. I don't know if that's a good transition <laughs> or segue, not at all. But uh, it could Kanye be. Kanye West sure. is a crazy mail. Yeah. <laughs> ah, nice wordplay. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to talk about mad scientists. And tales to... Oh, wait. Yeah. No, okay. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and crazy people to, that are astonished. No. Astonished. Uh, astonished. So this actually, this uh, kind of concept for this show, I did um, kind of get from a listener. I believe it was Tim, and I apologize if that's not the right Is caller. Tim from Lombard? Or, I think so. Okay, he called okay. in and he suggested uh, doing a show on Fritz Haber. Okay. And That's uh, right. Yeah. yeah, you remember that. Yeah. And, um, and I want to say that was Tim, but we both could be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I apologize for not writing it down. Should have took a note. But if you're listening, call in. Uh, <laughs> Correct. So, <That's>, yeah. <laughs> so, but I couldn't do a whole show on him. I mean, partly it was just hard for me to do some, like, I mean, it probably could, but I wanted to do more of these crazy scientists that have existed in history. And there's a lot of them. I think actually looking stuff up, I didn't realize, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, but I didn't realize there were so many whacked out scientists throughout the years. Well, well, haven't we figured out the—I mean, I, Although, I've learned yeah, for the show, yeah, the ego true. of the scientist, uh-huh. so it doesn't surprise me that exactly. there people in their field that mm-hmm. have And especially think in the, in the past—I mean, there's still some today, you know, doing crazy things, but you got to think in the past when stuff wasn't as regulated, mm-hmm. you know, or like scientists who just had, like, governmental freedom to do whatever— you know, they're like, well, so we'll get into some of that. There's some crazy ones. Oh, like they're digging up the corpses and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. trying to like make a two headed dog. So <laughs> uh, making ape men super soldiers is another one. So we'll get into that. Oh, is this stuff that you're going to talk about? Yes. Okay. Okay. But first, I'm going to start with Fritz Haber since uh, that was the suggestion. And he's interesting because he not only, um, some would say, saved the world. Or saved half the population of the world. He also killed a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, he, this goes back to, uh, he was born in, what was he, uh, I think it was 1868 in Germany. And uh, he back then, 
food production was still like for farming and agriculture and everything they were still relying on turnips and ground up skeletons and poop and pee and actually turnip that had been turned into poop and uh, re you know re circulated into the ground there um so what's necessary for soil and plant growth is a good supply of nitrogen and many people had tried to create ways to infuse nitrogen into the soil in better ways, but it really wasn't until Mr. Haber, Mr. D- or Dr. Haber, I don't know if he was a doctor, but uh, Fritz Haber, who actually created the process in 1909, which originally was the Haber process, later known as the Haber-Bosch or Bosch process, which is actually you know, the Bosch company um, from uh, Karl Bosch. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he later like uh, refined it and made it less expensive. That's what Karl Bosch did. And so basically, um, Haber he created a process for making ammonia, which is a key ingredient, fertilizer, and a compound of nitrogen and hydrogen in and making it in mass industrial quantities. And so, even though nitrogen makes up seventy eight percent of the atmosphere, it's a, it's a stable element. It's not prone to reacting with other elements. So it was. It was hard to do, um, but he was a a master chemist. Oh, we got Tim, so we got it right. Yeah. Hey, Tim. Yeah, you did. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad my memory is still a little little there. <laughs> and, and to add to the story, are you going to bring in his wife as well? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a key part of this whole story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't spoil it. <laughs> I won't. I won't. But it's uh, that, that it adds an extra level of drama to. Uh, and did you follow up with the last his last key invention for the German government? Uh, you know what? I didn't find that. Uh, oh no no no! Oh yeah, you got to add his last key invention for the for the German government before he passed away was a an, uh, a failed insecticide called Zyklon B. Oh, Zyklon B. Which, yeah, which uh, which Mister Mustache and his uh, the new the new German regime mm-hmm. for a different purpose. That's why I, I use the term saved billions and killed millions. Yeah, and I guess uh, he also. And then what? What's interesting though is that the you know um, Hitler and the Nazis who took that from him they actually uh, attacked him and the uh, Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for harboring Jewish scientists. And they, yep. they actually, yeah, they called him Haber the Jew. And that was like his name, you know, or that's how the Nazis regarded him. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, that, it's, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating story. I'm looking forward to hearing your, your retelling it for your, for your listeners. Yeah, thanks, Tim, and thanks for the suggestion. All right, take care. You too. Uh, and he was actually, he was also a friend of uh, Albert Einstein. Um, Mr. Haber was not the other person that we mentioned. <laughs> but uh, he was uh, he was actually born in, in Prussia, like I said, 1868. Uh, he went to University of Berlin, then he went to the University of Heidelberg, and he ultimately was appointed professor of physical chemistry and electrochemistry at the Karl Schrue Institute of Technology. And he married, like um, Tim brought up, the brilliant chemist, also his wife, was Clara Immerwar. And uh, she was actually the first woman to receive a doctorate from uh, Breslau University. And they worked together uh, collaborating with uh, on a textbook on the thermodynamics of gas. 
And as she was continuing her own research, writing and speaking, uh, Mr. Haber's reputation was growing bigger and bigger. Of course, you know, it's male dominated and, you know, she's not getting any credit. And she became really incensed to learn that her audiences assumed that he had written all her lectures, <laughs> you know. Uh, so meanwhile, his career is flourishing around the start of the World War One. Uh, the German army requested his help in developing um, to replace explosives and shells with poison gases. And since he was a, a German patriot, he was willing to uh, become a uniform consultant at the German war office. And he'd been, uh, he started drawing on experiments he'd done using chlorine gases. And... He actually, the one test he did with this resulted in the deaths of several German troops. And by 1915, it was pretty much all the defeats that were starting to happen on the front lines, the early stages of World War I. His resolve to use gas weapons was growing despite the, the Hague Convention agreements prohibiting chemical agents. Um, and... He actually had a difficult time finding army commanders who would agree to test on the field. And one general called the use of the poison gas unchivalrous and repulsive. But uh, Haber, according to biographer Margaret Sol uh, Solosi-Jan, said, If you want to win the war, then please wage chemical warfare with conviction, he said. Now his wife, Clara, condemned her husband's work. And the weapons, uh, well, the work on the weapons, uh, as a perversion of the ideals of science and a sign of barbarity, corrupting the very discipline which ought to bring new insights into life. Publicly, she pleaded with them to end the experiments. Supposedly, privately, he was saying her statements uh, amounted to treason. And, of course, they're <laughs> obviously, with all this going on, their marriage started to suffer. No. <laughs> and... In uh, 1914, the director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Physical Chemistry, he placed his laboratory at the service of the German government. And by 1915, he was on the front lines in uh, Ypres. And he was actually in uniform, smoking cigars and calculating the timing of what he hoped would be a lethal gas attack. Thousands of steel cylinders containing chlorine gas had been transported to German positions. And they actually uh, not they wouldn't launch or drop the gas in Allied troops. Instead, Haber calculated the best delivery system was using the winds in Belgium. So after waiting weeks for these ideal winds, strong enough to carry the gas from away from the German troops, but not so strong that they would dissipate, they would. Uh, it was in April twenty second, in nineteen fifteen. Germans released more than 168 tons of chlorine gas from nearly 6,000 canisters. And a sickly cloud, one witness told the New York Times, like a yellow low wall began to drift over the French trenches. Uh, it settled over 10,000 troops, and more than half were believed to have died by asphyxiation within minutes. And a Canadian soldier who was there described the effects as an equivalent death to drowning only on dry land. The effects are there, a splitting headache and a ter terrific thirst. 
a knife edge of pain in the lungs and the coughing up of greenish froth of the stomach and the lungs, ending finally in insensibility and death. And basically after the success, of, you know, to the Germans for the attack, Germany ramped up the use of the gas and says by the time the war was over, about 1.3 million casualties had been caused by chemical weapons and around 90,000 excruciating deaths. And I'm trying to find the other, uh, the other interesting parts to this was... Oh, I lost my... Hmm. I was trying to find the end part. The end game. <laughs> what, of the Fritz Haber story? Yeah. Uh, basically, okay, so here we go. So, <laughs> so, after, so after that, and, you know, he actually was given uh, the rank of captain, and the Germans had a big party for them. Hours after the party for her husband, Clara... You know, her husband, uh, I mean, his husband, yeah, wait, his wife, my bad, wandered into the garden with Haber's army pistol. She pointed the gun to her heart and pulled the trigger, taking her own life in protest of the chemical weapons Mr. Fritz Haber had created. Wow. Yeah, that's an ending right there. I'm surprised there hasn't been a movie made on him. I mean, that's a pretty compelling Well, drama. Um, there's been the short film Haber, okay. ri- written and directed by Daniel Ragusis in um, 2008. Oh, really? That, that recently? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then the 2014, uh, there's a film, oh, even more Clara Emmerwar, um, released by Harold uh, uh, Sick. Are these like more independent? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know where you'd be able to find any of these. And then, of course, there's been books. But, yeah, but that's all I can find is there's a short film, Haber, and a 2014 film about her called Clara Immerwar. Well, you know, I mean, kind of got to give props to her for (laughs) such a a vigilant protest. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so on... With some more. Now, if that wasn't crazy enough, I I think I actually have even crazier people. Uh, It's interesting. I mean, and Haber won the Nobel Prize, you know, and it's it's just such a a weird um, thing to have developed, you know, uh, a way to create fertilizer so easy and, you know, saving all these people from starvation. But then turn around a couple years later and say, well, I can do this, (laughs) make this chemical weapon. It'll kill a bunch of people. It's an odd uh, juxtaposition there. I'm reading about Claire Emmerwar, and um, after Fritz died, her ashes were moved to uh, you know, Basel, Switzerland, or yeah. Basel, Switzerland, uh, so that she could be with Haber's uh, remains after his death. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was her dying wish. Yeah. <laughs> and then, sadly, their son uh, commits suicide in uh, 1946. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Herman Haber. Hmm. After he emigrated to the United States. Huh. That's weird. All right. Well, next up on the list is Vladimir Demikov, who actually created a two-headed dog. (laughs) 
It was a Soviet scientist who was known for being a pioneer in organ transplantation. Uh, he saw a lot of success in uh, transplanting a number of vital organs between dogs. But then in the 1950s, he decided to try to create a two-headed dog. So him and his assistants attempted, uh, they, they tried to do this at least like 24 times. And I guess the 24th attempt was the most widely publicized. It was even featured in Life magazine. I'm looking at the picture, and it's like, I'm thinking like they bred a dog that just happened to have like the head split. No, they like, literally and, like... And it's like, no, sewed on top. It looks like a puppy piggyback riding yeah. on like a shepherd or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, fusing the head and neck of a small dog named Shavka onto the neck of a large stray German shepherd named Brod- Brodjaga, the mad scientist created a starkly unnatural symbiote. <laughs> and I guess for the actual surgery, they basically they amputated Shavka's lower body below the forelegs, keeping her heart and lungs connected until just before the transplant. Then he attached Shavka's upper body to the corresponding incision in Brodjaga's neck. The operation lasted three and a half hours. It says both of the mutilated dogs were still able to hear, see, smell, and swallow. Um, but the surgery was still not tech- really a triumph um, because Shavka could drink liquids, but she was not connected to Brodyaga's stomach. So whatever she consumed simply flowed through an external tube <laughs> that Demikov had implanted and dripped onto the floor below. And basically, yeah, the both dogs died like four days later. Um, and I don't really understand the point of it. Like, what what reason would you want a two-headed dog? Maybe to see... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, nothing good. Nothing good could come from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a strange... <laughs> I mean, there are, there's another one we'll get into, like the guy, like I said, who, the, who tried to create the ape man um, or the ape super soldiers, which it like it's still it's not it, it's insane, but it makes a little more sense to me than a two headed dog. I guess someone was saying maybe it was for uh, transplants to figure out a way to. To perform transplants of sort, but but even that, yeah, I, I just yeah, I don't know. But it I mean, seems... are you transplanting a head to someone else's? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It, I I don't know. Two heads are better than one, Paul. I, well, you know, mate. I, I'm not even going to try <laughs> and justify this, but I'm wondering if, like, you know, instead of being like Walt Disney or Ted Williams and yeah. having your head frozen in some lab, hoping that you can revive them someday, it's just yeah. hey, let's put them on that guy's body. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, we'll get into some frozen stuff too. I got cool. I got that in there. Um, before we take a break, one quick one. Remember our guy uh, Paracelsus? Yeah, better than Celsius. Yeah, I'm better than that dude, son. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so better than him. I'm name my name better than him. <laughs> Just gonna call myself better than him. Um, so he was actually, and he did all kind of crazy stuff. He was an occultist, botanist, uh, practicing physician. Um, he's, and he's seen as the father of modern toxicology. So, you know, he's got his, you know, his props. Um, but he was also convinced that he could create a living homunculus or a tiny man. Oh, by, okay. By keeping semen in a warm place and feeding it on human blood. He even left instructions for any others who might wish to try it. 
And he really believed, he fervently believed this method was the genesis of wood nymphs and giants. <laughs> uh, so, as far as we know, no homunculuses were created by that experiment. So, don't try it at home, kids. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have many more mad scientists on Think Theory Radio. Welcome back to Think Theory Radio. This is Damien, and today we're talking about these very lovely people, the mad scientists of the world and history. <laughs> um, I don't know. Too astonished? Yeah. yeah I don't know. <laughs> uh, so here's uh, one that's could be, he's, he's almost kind of the very real Dr. Frankenstein. Um, maybe a name only, though. But it's Johann Conrad Dippel. And he was actually born at the Castle Frankenstein near Darmstadt, Germany. And I've been to Darmstadt. Not to the castle, though. I didn't make it. But I did try their beer, and it was really good. It's called Funkstadter. Hmm. So you ever get, get your hands on that? It's pretty good stuff. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> while obtaining a master's degree in theology, uh, he was actually... Referred to with the addendum Frankensteinensis. And he actually was uh, into alchemy, right? Trying to turn lead into gold and stuff. But he was, uh, he claimed to have created the elixir of life, which he called Dipple's Oil, which was bo bones, blood, and other bodily fluids distilled from animals. And it didn't work, obviously, because he's not around <laughs> he's not immortal he died uh and actually the oil was so bad that it was used during world war ii to poison wells and uh basically when he was he was at castle frankenstein he was performing bizarre experiments on the dead attempting to transfer souls between them and he was tried for heresy and died of what historians believe was a stroke so he didn't actually, as far as we know, he didn't create Frankenstein's monster, right? And uh, just a quick props to uh, Mary Shelley, you know, author of... Frankenstein. Yeah, or Dr. Frankenstein. I think it's actually Dr. Frankenstein, right? And, you know, that's she's considered, well, that book is considered the very first uh, sci-fi Interesting. Novel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she is the godmother of sci-fi, although she doesn't get her just due a lot of times. But <laughs> I think she was only like 18 or 17 when she wrote that. Too. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm surprised they let women near pens and paper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was written, she, I think she was dating or married to another author. I can't remember all their names, but it was a bunch of writers and they went on like a, like a, I want to say like a retreat and it was kind of like a battle. They were like, all right, we're all going to, you know, sequester in our room. Whoever yeah. can write the coolest story. And I think a couple other, like, legendary books were written in that same weekend. Well, thankfully, no one, like, took the idea and made it their own, you know? Like, they gave her her props. True, true. As far as I know. I mean, yeah. I've always known it to be Mary Shelley, but it wasn't like, yeah. like Mary, that's a terrible story. Right. It's like, but, uh, uh, don't <laughs> right, throw that, that away. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> 
there's another Frankensteinish person named Giovanni Aldini, who was the nephew of famed scientist Luigi Galvani. And uh, Aldini spent much of his life defending his uncle's theories, who were basically about electrical. Um, and actually, that's where the term galvanized comes from. It's from Luigi Galvani. And basically, he, what he did was he would hook up, in order to prove his uncle's theories were correct, he would hook up dead animals and humans to batteries to show that the electricity was indeed the vital life force science and alchemy had so long sought after. And he actually took his show on the road. And, he, you know, it was kind of like the, the like the really like the Frankenstein movie, you know, with the electric bolts and everything like that and zapping in and out of dead flesh. <laughs> and he took his show on the road and he traveled around Europe with cartloads of dismembered body parts. Sounds like a guy up in Wisconsin. <laughs> Shocking them into convulsions while audiences thrilled. <laughs> He's, he's kind of like an electric Jesus. <laughs> uh, he actually, he did treat live patients, uh, patients. His cure for mental disorders was to apply transcranial administration of electric current. So he was the original uh, shock method dude. You know, they try to shock people uh, to fix them or whatever that's called. What's that called? There's like a term for that. For it's what? Shock therapy. Shock therapy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, electric shock therapy. Yeah. yeah. He basically invented that. Um, what about, you ever heard of Carrie Mullis? No. Well, you should. <laughs> Why is that? Because he created the polymer race chain reaction. The okay. PCR test. Oh, okay. We've all had to take a million of since COVID started. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the, this is the best part of it, though. He came up with the idea for the PCR test because he took so much acid, LSD, that it just sort of occurred to him. And he said, this is a reaction that it gets used daily in most biology labs. And it's uh, used to amplify certain sections of DNA and was instrumental in the early study of HIV and AIDS. Um, but he was also into surfing and riding hog. Or motorcycle. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, <laughs> could take on a totally different meaning. In Especially with uh, Matt or mad scientists. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he won the Nobel Prize and everything. So we owe the PCR tests to a guy that liked to take LSD. <laughs> and then they, there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theorists that try to use him to say that the PCR tests don't work. Because there's like, if you look up online, there'll be all these. Oh, yeah, he said it doesn't work and you can't detect viruses like that. But honestly, I search and search. I cannot find anywhere that he actually said that. I can find a ton of articles that say he says that, but I can never actually find an article. And I think he died. So he can't confirm that he said that. Um, on to Sidney Gottlieb, who was the CIA's drug dealer. He was a Ph.D. in chemistry who got from the uh, California Institute of Technology and when he was uh, working for the CIA, he was in charge of finding out the best way to effectively weaponize LSD. So we're continuing on with the, the LSD stuff here. Uh, it was during the Cold War, and this was, uh, you know, basically trying to figure out mind control. 
and he was charged with figuring out the best way to use the drugs to uh, techniques that would crush the human psyche to the point that it would admit anything. <laughs> and, of course, this initiative was... Come on, Paul, you should know. Sorry, I'm reading about <laughs> things discovered uh, by people on acid. Oh. <laughs> like, I didn't well, know the DNA. DNA. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I do, you're gonna, I do it. No, but he was a MK Ultra man. Ah, oh, of course, man. for those of you playing at home. <laughs> Yeah, so he was uh, basically, him and his colleagues would, in order to figure this out, would trip trip balls for days <laughs> and watch unwitting citizens and civilians, you know, and they would, you know, they experimented on, they would say it might have been like 100,000 people, it was convicts, mental patients, all kind of stuff. Like individual trials where... They dose the person and yeah. monitor the person because I'm wondering if like they well, it was some was they would dose without knowledge. I mean, there's like there's it's very murky yeah, territory. But I, but I was I guess my question was like you know um, the drinking water at a party or mm. something and like let's just see what happens. Oh but yeah, this is like from it what it sounds like MK Ultra was you know bring yeah. a person to whatever lab or room or whatever dose them knowingly or unknowingly monitor their their actions yeah well there was um they actually did the party thing you're talking about was uh they did it it was called Woodstock. frank olsen no <laughs> there's uh and i think i talked about it on the show before there's a mini series called wormwood that's kind of a docuseries okay um, it was on netflix i don't know if it still is but um basically it was a scientist named frank olsen and when they first were experimenting with lsd as a mind control thing they had him and a bunch of other scientists come to a retreat um with like the head of the CIA or whatever, and they dosed them all the like I don't know, it was maybe like half a dozen or so scientists without telling them, and they just they were like, yeah, come to this retreat, we'll have a good time, and and I guess he was the only one that had a bad trip. Like everyone else was like, oh wow, I feel great, and he had this really bad trip, and then ended up uh, being killed, or they tried to say he committed suicide, but it didn't really seem that way because he started when he was tripping, he was threatening to expose. Uh, that the government was working on chemical weapons when they shouldn't be. And so it's, then sometimes, somehow he got thrown out, or he jumped out of a hotel window that was, like, not easy to access, and the way he fell in the body, just, yeah. They threw him out of the window, basically. It's what, <laughs> what happened. Um, who else we got here? What about uh, Stubbins Firth? Uh, was did that come before or after Stubbins? Uh, uh, yes, yeah, Stubbins. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> terrible joke. Yeah, I just like his name. Uh, he was a lot, he was around from 1784 to 1820. He's at the University of Pennsylvania, researcher, and he became obsessed with the idea that yellow fever was not contagious, hmm. and so much so that he actually took a blade sliced open his arms and smeared vomit from yellow fever patients into the wounds. Oh, just to see if it got into his bloodstream. Yeah, see if he got sick. And when that made no difference, he poured the vomit in his eye. Ah! (laughs) He drank some of the liquid, Ah! fried the stuff, Ah! and breathed it in with fumes. (laughs) It made a delicious ale with it. (laughs) I know the fried part. I was like, what? What? 
<laughs> and then finally, he covered himself with blood, urine, saliva from the infected patient. I was going to make the joke that uh, his recipes were then collected right. by... <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a White Castle. I'm not joking. Yeah. Uh, I like White Castle. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. Um, but he kind of proved his theory because he didn't get sick, but... Got horribly infected by the, all the vomit right, he was drinking. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but he got addicted to vomit. Died of he dysentery. Just, he couldn't go on without eating vomit the rest Are of his serious? life. Are you no, joking? no, no. Okay. Uh, basically, they believe that he was taking samples from late stage patients, so just, they weren't contagious at the time. Like uh, St- Stubbins, this is uh, probably more of an addiction now. <laughs> oh, no, I'm experimenting. <laughs> um. There was another, like the Soviet scientists really seemed to like cut, uh, cutting up dogs. <laughs> there was what another they one. they got against dogs? I don't know. I mean, they probably just don't see them as like living creatures that. I mean, I think like, that's almost every society except for the, the dog owner. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he basically was uh, this guy, Sergio Brokhonenko. Uh, and they t- him and his team undertook a series of experiments where they removed a canine's head and kept it alive away from its body by hooking it up to air and blood supply apparatus. <laughs> Come and see my pet dog yeah. head. <laughs> and he actually had another dog. He had the blood drawn from its body only to uh, be later brought back to life like uh, Frankenstein. <laughs> And I guess it was uh, his work was captured on camera in the nineteen forty film Experiments and the Revival of Organisms. <laughs> um, and then there's I'm trying to find hold on, where is it? Jack Parsons. Here's a good one. I have a couple of pages on him I'm gonna get to. And he was a rocket scientist. He lived from nineteen forty to nineteen fifty two. And he, where's the other He was basically, you know, he was a pioneer in rocket science. He was also a devotee of Alistair Crowley, if you know him, mm-hmm. the British mystic. Uh, eventually, what Jimmy Page moved into his house. Yeah, uh, was it? Uh, Didn't they record an album? It is. I think they place? did. I, I want right. to say maybe Led Zeppelin three. You might be right. Um, um, but the, uh, was it uh, Black Sabbath? Didn't they have a song about him or Ozzy Osbourne? Like, yeah. Mr. Crowley. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, he basically, yeah. So uh, Mr. Jack Parsons got into uh, Thelema. He became a Thelemist or Thelemist, which is the religious philosophy that uh, Mr. Crowley created. And he said, uh, Jack Parsons also invoked the Greek god Pan. At the site of every test launch he did with the rockets, he was also an uh, ultimate amateur enthusiast and danced a ceremonial dance along the line of brilliance and insanity for every launch. But unfortunately, his uh, brilliance in the technical field would be overshadowed by his intense curiosity with the occult. Then he hooked up with, and it's interesting that he went from Aleister Crowley to Mr. L. Ron Hubbard father of uh, Scientology, who some say there's a connection between Aleister Crowley and L. Ron Hubbard. It's 
It's another little murky thing. I've heard <laughs> from people that L. L. Ron Hubbard and Alisha Crowley made a bet to come up with religions and to see which one became more popular, and that Alistair Crowley came up with the lemma and L. Ron Hubbard came up with Scientology. But I cannot prove that. That's just something I heard <laughs> in the ether. <laughs> so then he became uh, a, uh, a fan of L. Ron Hubbard, who actually duped Parsons into giving him a large sum of money, which then he used to publish the book Dianetics. Yep. And that was actually, you know, the, the cornerstone of Scientology. Um, Parsons endured another initial prick of being uh, tricked by Hubbard as an explosion of mercury fulminate, which they make blasting caps out of, exploded, killing him in his home laboratory. And I guess he actually also tried to uh, attempt to raise the mother of the Antichrist. In order, in order to do that, Parsons masturbated while Hubbard wrote notes. Okay. <laughs> so kind of like the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm joking. Yeah. And the explosion, some have suggested, was down, was actually a magical experiment that killed him off. We'll never know. <laughs> um... Let's see what else we got here. We got, oh, we should get to uh, Jose Delgado. And he was alive from uh, 1950 up until about 11 years ago, until 2011. He was a University of Madrid graduate. And he also received a prestigious professorship at Yale University. And is actually, he was uh, working in the physiology department. Dealing with mind controls, another mind control person. Science is trying to control your mind. And he basically, what his thing, he didn't, was trying to do it drugs. Delgado inserted electrode implants into the brains of primates and used a remote control that gave off radio frequencies to make the animals perform complicated movements. And then he implanted into the brain of a bull and actually got into the ring with the bull using his transmitter to stop it from charging before, or stop it charging before it reached him. So, I mean, at least he put himself in the experiment. You know, he's going to do this stuff. But then he wired up, uh, they say no less than 25 people, but I guess behaviorally, the device only impacted people's aggression. And he kept striving for a way to achieve mind control, once creepily stating, we must electronically control the brain someday. Armies and generals will be controlled by electric stimulation of the brain. And I'll leave you to ponder on that while we take a quick break and we'll be back with more Think Theory Radio and Mad Scientists. Welcome back to Think Theory Radio. Today we are talking about some of the most brilliant minds that history have ever known, but also they were a little mad. <laughs> uh, before we get to the caller, I just want to, I have to give, I have to say this one because I teased it earlier and I'll make sure I get to this guy. Fair I enough, have, fair enough. I have many, many more to get to. Um, Mr. Ilya Ivanovich 
Ivanov, who was the creator of Ape Men Super Soldiers. Okay, not not Vladimir Lenin or whatever. No. <laughs> uh, another uh, crazy Russian scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was commissioned by Stalin to breed in... Uh, I looked up the pronunciation of this word earlier. Now I can't remember it, but indefatigable, I think, is how you pronounce it. We'll give you credit for that one. Yeah. At least I didn't, you know, stutter. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Obedient, super strong race of ape men to fight for Mother Russia. Oh, man. Could you imagine? Yeah. So check this out. Cold War would have gone a lot different. (laughs) So he was actually, he was an early practitioner of artificial insemination. In his early days, he produced Z-donks. What's that? Zebra donkeys. Ah, okay. And Zubrons. Uh, zebra and what? No, it's a, no. It's a bison and a cow. <laughs> Why do I even try? <laughs> uh, an antelope cow, a mouse rat. So is it a cowtelope? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> a mouse and a cow. So uh, a couse. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, a mouse rat. Mouse rat. No, which is Mouse the is, um, isn't that already exists? Doesn't that's that, a band on uh, Mouse Andy Andy's band on uh, oh, Parks yeah. and Rec. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, okay. A mouse guinea pig and a guinea guinea pig rabbit. Okay, and uh, so basically, he just he just uh, would squirt the wrong juice in the right hole. <laughs> easy, easy. All right. It's a family show here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's a science hole. <laughs> It's like an injection, not that. Come on. Or at least I think. I don't know. Um, so he attempted to put first put human semen into female primates, which he got to do permission on French soil. And they wouldn't let him do it in Russia yet. And when that failed, he sought to impregnate a human female with chimp sperm. So at that point, the French were like, nah. But the Russia, then for some reason, Russia was okay with that one. <laughs> Uh, the only thing that kept him, supposedly, from completing his plans was a lack of sexually mature apes available locally. <laughs> Good thing. Good thing there's not a lot of wild apes in Russia. <laughs> Readily available <laughs> for experimentation. You did it! You dirty man! <laughs> you dirty ape, get your paws off me. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, no, I get it. I, okay. I, I, I got the reference, All yeah. Right. All right, now let's take Randy's call. Randy in the north side. What's going on, Randy? Hey, how are you doing? I'm enjoying your your show today. Hey, I wanted to comment on a little while ago you were talking about the the guy who had the two-headed dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I just, I read a little while ago, actually about a month ago, in H.G. Wells' book, he's probably known for the War of the World, but it, this book is called The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. And it's about this. This nutty doctor had this island, and he, he took animals and operated them on to try to make them more human-like. Mm-hmm. And, and when we were talking about it, my group talking about it, why in the, what motivated him for doing this? Like, he, I think, made a a hyena and a pig together and a human and, and, and uh, a lot of the uh, different, uh, different animals. And we were trying to figure out, and it was written like, uh, I think around 1900 or so. So the thought was, it was a reaction to Darwin's origin of the species, you know, the, yeah. the evolution, but we never could come to uh, an 
the only other thing was he did it because he could do it. He had the technical skill to do these operations. And so I thought, well, maybe it was a reaction to technology. But we don't. We never really came to a conclusion. But it was a great uh, discussion. But I wanted to share that with you. I don't know if anyone. Yeah, it's a very short book. It's a very short novel. I, I think it's only like 130 pages. You could, and uh, but anyway. Yeah, well, they made it to a movie right. as well with uh, I forget who was in it. Though. Right, in the yeah. some people. Um, Marlon Brando. Yeah, oh, right, Marlon Brando. What was that? Yeah, some people. Uh, some people in, in my group there did see it. I didn't see it. Oh, gotcha. Anyway, I wanted to, wanted to share with you that. I don't know if your audience heard of the book, but it, it's worth a, if you're bored and it's worth a read. All right. Okay. <laughs> thanks. All right. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for the suggestion and okay, the call. Take care. All right. Take care. And yeah, Dr. Moreau definitely fits into the realm mm-hmm. of this conversation. So when you were talking about all the animal <laughs> experimentation, and, and I knew Randy was going to call about that yeah. to screen the call, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it made me think of the um, the parody on South Park, like really mm-hmm. early South Park, where it was like the island of Dr. Moreau, but it was like he was trying to make a, a monkey with multiple uh, backsides. Right, right. <laughs> I never got to remember that. Uh, there's um, quickly the most recent one I could find, um, which you might have heard of, and I think we talked about this guy on the show before. And uh, probably I don't know if we're going to say his name right, but it's uh, He Jiankui, who's a Chinese researcher who supposedly produced genetically edited babies. And this was in uh, 2018 in November. He announced that he had modified a key gene. And a number of human embryos in a way thought to confer resistance to HIV. The modification might be passed on to the descendants of children born with it. Uh, he recruited couples in which the father was infected with HIV and the mother was not. And he said he wanted to spare the babies a possibility of becoming infected with HIV in life. He supposedly a woman was born with triplets from this process, although they don't know exactly when they knew the ter- the two babies were born but not the third and he is now in jail or he got sentenced to three years in uh was it 2019 so i think i think he's still in or maybe he's out but but there's been a you know debate on whether he actually did this you know like he probably did something, but we don't really know if he was actually successful in this or if he just was trying to launch his career and just making things up, you know. So it's it's debated. Um, but he spent some time in jail for it. So that was the most current mad scientist I could find, which I think with CRISPR, you know, the gene editing tool, I think we're going to probably hear about a lot more of this kind of Mad science. I don't know, what about anyone at like Boston Dynamics? Couldn't they? Be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, well. Or, once they started adding, once they start adding like AI to the robots, then yes, probably. Um, <laughs> one of my sons just got a smartphone, and he's obsessed mm-hmm. with that app where it's like you just show it a picture, and it like makes everyone in the picture look like they're singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. Whoever invented that app is the most recent mad scientist. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, bizarre. I mean, I mean, scary. You could probably just say, yeah, anyone uh, you know, seen seen my cat, Mark seen Zuckerberg, yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah, social media, go, yeah. some like uh, psychological mad science. Um, then we got uh, Andrew Yur, 
who was the electric puppeteer. Okay. And he was another, you know, back in the day when they believe, you know, electricity was the key to life. He was convinced that electricity was also a way you could reanimate a corpse. <laughs> and uh, he studied uh, medicine in Glasgow. And then he actually uh, served in his nation's army as a surgeon. But he, and he was he had a, a great reputation as an industrial chemist and an accomplished astronomer and geologist. But that's not what he's known for. He's known for is taking the blood-drained body of an executed murderer, opening up several plug-in points, and electrifying the dead flesh until it contorted wildly to the horror of his audience. And he did it like an audience. It's like... Sounds like a Cronenberg movie. Yeah. There's uh, a quote that says, When the supraorbital nerve was excited, every muscle in his countenance was simultaneously thrown into fearful action, rage, horror, despair, anguish, and ghastly smiles. United <laughs> their hideous expressions in the murderer's face, surpassing far the wildest representations of Fuseli or Keane. At this point, several of the spectators were forced to leave the apartment from terror or sickness, and one gentleman fainted. Yeah. <laughs> Only one. <laughs> oh man! Um, all right, who else we got here? I think we have time for got yeah, one more. One more. <laughs> hmm. Are you gonna make me pick? Because I mean, of course, I could always do Tesla. He's like ah, save Tesla. <laughs> he's the supreme. He's like a mad scientist, but like a genius mm -hmm. who only gave benefit to the world. So let's go back. Uh, we got another mind control guy. Those are always there we fun. Go. Yeah, that's that's very mad scientisty. Yeah, and this is uh, Robert G. Heath, and Heath. Bobby Heath. <laughs> he was actually concerned himself with the control of pleasure and pain receptors. Okay. While working at New Orleans Tulane University, he found a way. Uh, found that by wiring up people's brains with electrodes, he'd give them bursts of pleasure. And if he then inserted a narrow tube into the brain along with the electrodes, he could directly administer a chemical called acetyl, acetylcholine, resulting in virtual ecstasy, including multiple orgasms continuing for up to a half an hour. <laughs> On the flip side of the coin, when the pain centers were triggered, patients could be gripped with agony, as one man discovered. It's knocking me out. I just want to claw, he said. Some believe that Heath was also connected to dun, 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 the CIA. Oh, okay. It's like, it was like uh, New Orleans, <laughs> uh, the, the, the Come on, mind control. Just it's just creating always Peyton say Manning CIA. from Archie Manning's uh, DNA. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> just always say CIA. Okay. I see. But like, oh, man, we're gonna have to make the drinking game or the bingo card because it, it could be anything. It could be you know Operation Paperclip. It could be MK Ultra. It could be. Uh, CIA it could be yeah. um, uh, DARPA. It could be uh, uh, CERN. It could. Be I know that's true. That is true. We do have to come up with the game, though. Yeah, we and do. Still got to get the Dakota rings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and real quick though, you're talking about DNA, dis mm -hmm. the discovery of DNA being, on acid. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that was a Mister uh, Francis Crick. Yeah, and he actually the interesting thing about him, not just that. I mean, that's interesting in itself that he found the basis of life through DNA, but also he believed in directed panspermia, which is that Earth was deliberately seeded by extraterrestrials. Hmm. He didn't uh, team up with L. Ron Hubbard, did he? <laughs> Not that I know of. You never know. 
but that'll do it. And thanks for the callers. Thanks to all that listened. And we'll be back again next Saturday and every Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. right here on WCPT H1E Think Theory Radio.